0: What is God's will for your life? You, specifically. Not just, not just as a body, but you specifically. What is God's will for your life? What would He have you to do? And there, and there are so many questions we have to answer. We have to know, who should I marry? Or who should I not marry? Uh, should my family stay in Korea? Or should we immigrate to America? Emergency medicine or nursing? What, what are we going to do? And, these, and plus, then there's the overwhelming question that's pressing upon this body this time of year. Which homeschooling curriculum
1: should I be using?
0: Classical conversations, uh, memoria press. Uh, Becca, we, we certainly live in, in some troubling times as we sift through this uh, maze of homeschooling stuff. But in in this text, in in Ephesians 5, we will see that the Christian life is much more than these arbitrary forks in the road as we decipher God's will for our lives. But God's will for our lives, friend, is so much more. It's, It's about being filled with the Spirit as we are utterly dependent upon Him. As we live our lives before others and as we stand before God as well. So with that, if you could, turn to, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be reading verses 15 down to 21. Ephesians 5, verses 15 down to 21. Look carefully, then, how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. This is the Word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we come to You and we have Your Word, this this living water, and we ask that we can drink of it. And God, that You would bring revival in our hearts this this very hour, this very evening, God, that we would come before You and that You would meet us. This would not be just another time when we run through the, the routine that is becoming this church, but God, that we would seek You and that You would show Yourself to us in a mighty and glorious way. God, would You come down and reveal Yourself to us. Amen. So as we're reading through the text, I'm, I'm assuming you've gathered the main point, the main thrust of what's going to be the sermon is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. as the main, the main thrust of this, of this passage. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we broke it up in three different areas, three different ways. Verses 15 through 17, we're going to see our need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then verse 18, we're going to look at it. What exactly does it mean? What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Everybody agrees, yeah, it's probably a good thing, but what does it mean? That's what we're going to look at in verse 18. And then verse through the end, there, verse 19 through the end, we're going to see, what does this look like in my life? Now that we, we see our need for it, and okay, I understand what it means. What does it look like as I live it out? When I go to work on Monday, what does it look like? So number one your need to be filled with the Spirit. I'm going to reread the verses here, 15 through 17. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Paul is again here describing the Christian life using the metaphor of walking, as he's done so many times throughout this, this passage through this book to the Ephesians, and we're reminded that it's not this meandering back and round, round and around, but it's a deliberate walk one way or the other. Either you're going towards God or you're going away from Him. Either you're going down the path of destruction or you're following the narrow way to the celestial city. As you walk through your lives, it's not a meandering. It is a directional walking. You are going one way or the other. And as we live our lives, we see that we are to walk in such a way, as we see in verse 16, that we make the best use of our time. That is, we are to redeem every moment. And this is necessary, Paul says, because the days are evil, he says at the end of the verse. Now, we often lament our times uh, that we live in. and We see the Western society... The Christian perspective is that we see the Western society crumbling around us, and we we often we lament for these other times when we can just let our kids go run and play in the neighborhood, and not have to worry about some some guy taking them and riding off in some creepy van, or we could we could have a little more modesty in our dress and in our speech, and we find ourselves longing either for the for the 1950s or going back to the 1850s, and just Wishing that it could have been, or what we think it was, then. But Paul is telling us, he doesn't say that this era or that time is evil. No, 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 friends. Blanket statement. The days are evil from then until now. Why? Because of the sin. That is in my heart and, and the sin that is in your heart, in all of us. We see it manifesting itself in so many different ways. To the point where Paul's able to say that the days are evil. And it, we're, we're, we should be reminded that it's not always their sin. It's not always the, the sin of the prideful or, or the drunk that we'll look at later. But it's our sin. And we miss that as we gather and we work and we're working to build a church and praising God with wonderful music. And we miss the sin that mars our soul and our hearts so long. So we, we understand our times are evil and we, we, because of this, we need to be filled with the Spirit. We ask, how, knowing the days are evil, how could you lead a life that's exalting Christ? And as we see in verse 15, how could we look carefully how can how we walk? How can we do that apart from the Spirit? Apart from being filled with the Spirit? There is a great need for you to be filled with the Spirit. Not to simply do what your parents taught you to do. Not to do what society tells you to do. But friends, to be filled with the Spirit. That is the great need. And we could try to do it with our own strength, but our own strength just carries us on to more sin. It doesn't carry us to God. No, friends, your own strength. It will carry you away from God. So we see that we are commanded to live in such a way that we are to be careful how we walk, but we fall short and we can't do it. What are we going to do, friends? We see this great need for the working of the Holy Spirit. How God has us live in such a way. But we can't. You see it week in and week out. You're struggling with sins and you can't conquer them. And You have bitterness rising up in your heart or anger that you can't push down, but it manifests itself and it comes out And you see the need, friends, to be filled with the Spirit. So, transitioning forward, we're going to say, we're going to answer the question, what then does this look like? Okay, so it should be filled with the Spirit. But what does it mean? What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? So let's go back to the text here. Verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And Paul here is continuing this great series of contrasts that we see beginning in verse 15 and, and working down. We see that we are not to be unwise, but to be wise in verse 15. We are not to be foolish, but we are to understand what the will of the Lord is see that in verse 17. And then finally here in verse 18, we are not to get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it, it doesn't take long for one to learn that your life is not your own. Uh, we're, we're always under the influence of this or that, or we're beholden to this or to that. As children, you know that you, you don't have your own life. You have to eat when you're told to eat. You go to bed and Theoretically, when you're told to go to bed, and then and you grow up and you have this a little, little bit of freedom, and then you get married and you realize I'm not free. I'm going to communicate. I'm going to talk with my bride. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And then you have children. And then you certainly know, you cannot do what you want. What what do you want? You're beholden to taking care of the kids. You can't do whatever you want. Like, sleep. You can't. There's no time. But precisely, so we see that we're under the influence of either Paul is getting at you, you're under the influence of either wine, or you're going to be under the influence of the Spirit. We are, as we look at this text, Paul's talking about yielding control. What are you going to yield control to in your life? It's going to be to something. Your life is not your own. You're going to yield control to something. It can be the praise of others. It can be your children. It can be your research. Whatever it might be, you're going to yield to something. Specifically here in verse 18, Paul says, reminds us not to get drunk with wine. So The one who is drunk has obviously yielded himself to alcohol. His body and his mind. And Paul uses this word here, debauchery. And originally it, it means one that is incurable. One who is beyond being saved. It's, it's the same root word. It's the same word that is used to describe the prodigal son. So you give someone who wants to rebel a lot of money and you send him on his way. That's, that's what's going on here. So it's, it's not just, just extravagance. It's not just a lavish living, but it is wild abandonment. Not That is you, apart from Christ. Don't be fooled by your civility. That is you, in your heart, apart from Christ. Now, contrast that to being filled with the Spirit. So rather than giving yourself to sin, rather than leading this lifestyle of the prodigal son, what are you doing? You're under grace and you're being filled with the Spirit. So you are yielding control which you're going to give to something, you're going to give it to someone, but you're giving it to the Spirit, and you're giving it to God. And this goes against every fabric of pride that is woven into our hearts, because the natural man, we think we can do it on our own, and we want to do it on our own, and that is why submission is so hard, because ultimately you're saying, not my will be done. And that that is why it's so hard. But what are you to do? Perhaps... You're not a drunk. Does this apply to you if you're not a drunk, right? I would say that being drunk is a particular manifestation of the sin that is in my heart and in all of your hearts. So it's a particular manifestation. And Paul rails on it here and goes against it. And you may not wake up with a hangover, my friends, but if you're not in Christ, you're still standing in rebellion against God. So in your heart, it's still the same. Perhaps if you weren't constrained by family or by society, you would do what the prodigal son had done. Maybe that's in your heart. But you just didn't have the opportunity or the means to do it. It's in your heart, apart from Christ. So we find ourselves the natural man who would rather endure hell than yield to God and to submit to the Spirit. He would rather endure hell. He would rather stand in rebellion against God than to be filled with the Spirit. That's why Paul's admonishing us to do it. If it was so easy, if we wanted to do it, he wouldn't have to mention it here. He would write about other things. But it's against our human nature, against this inherited sin that we have from Adam and from Eve. We want to stand in rebellion and not do what God would have us to do. And there's there's no middle ground here. So you look at Matthew 7. We referenced it earlier. Either you are going to walk the broad way to the destruction or the narrow road. One or the other. It's one or the other, friends. And you see this in your own heart. And you see this in your own lives. And certainly it's easier to see in the lives of other people. But in your own life, perhaps it's a little more difficult. So we've seen our need for sin, or our need to be filled with the Spirit, not for sin. In Verses 15 through 17, you have enough, you don't need it anymore. Verses 15 through 17, you see this need for sin. Verse 18, I did it again. This need for the Spirit. Thanks, guys. Verse 18, you see, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? And so rather than yielding control to our pride and to, to whatever else it might be, We're going to yield control to the Spirit. And finally, we're going to be answering the question, what does it look like? What does it look like to be filled with the Spirit? So we're going to read verses 19 through 21. 19 through 21. I'll tack on the end of verse 18 to give it a little context. But to be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now Paul here is using four main participles to show what does it look like as you live out the life that is filled with the Spirit. What does that look like? He says you're addressing one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. You're singing. You're giving and you're submitting. So you're addressing one another. You're singing. You're giving thanks. And then you're also submitting. So we're going to look at them real quick. Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And we know that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And this is in contrast to the, the, the low and debased speech that will come out of the man who is filled with wine that we see in verse 18. So this is not only different from that, but it's different than the normal conversing as well. And we see that a life that is filled with the Spirit is full of devotion, and it's full of thankfulness. Friends, even your speech is going to be drastically different. How can it not be when you're filled with the Spirit? I don't think it's important, as you look with the Psalms, in, the spiritual songs, I don't think it's important to divide them up. But I think it's Paul's just rhetorical force behind him, that he's saying everything is this song to one another. Your speech and your conversing with one another is going to be remarkably different. One of my, one of my favorite uh, historical anecdotes of church history, and this is regarding uh, revivals. It comes out of the Welsh, Welsh Revival in 1904. In the fall of 1904, this gentleman named Evan Roberts at the Moriah Chapel. And he gathered there, and he was praying, and other men joined him. They had a service, and revival broke out. Hundreds of uh, thousands were being saved. And this is in Welsh, and the soccer matches. Stop having soccer matches because people thought it was frivolous, waste of time. In England, stop having soccer matches. And then there's also a, a societal change as well, and the mines shut down. And it wasn't because of the, the workers were striking. You know, they had mules that worked there. And they were, for years, for their whole existence, used to being sworn at and cussed at and beaten... And these men get saved and filled with the Spirit. And they had to shut down the mines to retrain the mules to work under the gentle tongues of these coal workers, these coal miners, who have been saved and filled with the Spirit. So you see that. How could it not change your speech? If your heart has changed the way you talk and the way you converse, especially amongst the bodies and with others, is going to be different as well. We see singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. The first we talked about addressing others, this is simply just your singing to God. Um, formerly we were standing in rebellion against God and shaking our fists at Him. Now we're just like little children singing unto God. Like you hear your kids sing, Jesus loves me. It's just this innocent song rising up to God. That, that is the melody of your heart as you as you are filled with the Spirit. Finally, we have, or thirdly, we have giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this, this passage could be, this verse could be just a whole sermon in amongst itself. And the narrative of our, our lives, inevitably, it will bring us down paths that we don't want to travel. five years ago on this day I I hailed Rachel and she hailed our daughter Emma she passed away and, and these things happened in life and that's our story. And that's our narrative. But you have your own. You have your own struggles. Yet with a little bit of time, you're not thankful, per se, that it happened. If you're able to give thanks for Emma and our brief time with her, and our weeks that we had with her are so rich and full of joy, Though there is pain, we're able to say there is a good and sovereign God. And because of that, we will give thanks. Always and for everything. This is what it means to be filled with the Spirit. You want to have your own life, really? You want to do it on your own? You want to carry your own struggles? Talk to the addict. Talk to the drug addict. Ask him how well it works to carry your own struggle. It doesn't work, friends. But praise be to God that we worship Him who has made all and He gives us life and breath. And we will stand before Him knowing that we have been utterly changed because we have been filled with His Spirit. Fourth one, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. It, um, yielding to the Spirit, of course it's going to mean you yield to other people. It's a natural byproduct of it. God changes our hearts. We are going to speak it's going to be different with people. As we submit to Christ, yes, it's going to be easier. And God's going to expect us to submit to other people as well. That's why next week we're going to be preaching about the shot heard around the world. wives submit to your husbands? It comes out of this. Submitting to the Holy Spirit. What does that look like pragmatically in our lives? So let's go back to the introduction as we wrap it up here. What is God's will for your life? To be friends, to be filled with the spirit, friends. That is God's will for your life. Not not to be foolish without understand what the will of God is. It's to be filled with the spirit. That's what God's will is for your life. So we, we worry about these decisions we think they're a great force in the road. No. Being filled with the spirit. That's the only fork. What path am I going to follow? And then we we see our desperate need for it. That God has given us these commands. He tells us to be careful how we walk, but sometimes, we, quite frankly, we don't care. But We can't do this apart from the Holy Spirit. We see, what does it mean? We see that we are not yielding to sin anymore. We're not yielding to that kind of life, but friends, we are yielding to the Spirit. We are being filled with Him. We are saying, I must decrease and He must increase. Not my will be done, but your will be done. That's what it looks like. So finally, we see that being filled with the Spirit as your natural man is crucified. And the Spirit comes alive. We see that it changes everything about us. It changes our speech with others, how we come before God. We are giving thanks always and for everything regardless of the path that God brings you down. And we are submitting to others as we also submit to God. So friends, I I beg you and I implore you that you would take this to heart. That you would not lead the life of sin, but you would come before God and just ask to be filled with His Spirit. over this next week just meditate what does this look like in my life to be filled with the Spirit let us pray gracious Father we we have nothing we have nothing but you We we turn to so many things, but God, I pray that you would give us the the, the desire and the resolve to turn to you in all everything, whatever might be going on in our lives. God, I pray that we would come to you. That you would draw us to yourself. That we would that we would be filled with your Spirit. That our Our hearts would be filled with joy that we would sing to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We would sing to You the melody in our heart. Thank You for Your Word, God. We can find ourselves in it. We know truly who we are because of Your Word, but ultimately we know who You are and we find true redemption. Through you. Amen.